Ernest, what's up? Look, I want to put you on to something that's been making waves in the personal finance world. If you've been relying on Mint to manage your finances, I got some news that might startle you at first. Mint is no more. But hold on, because every cloud has its silver lining. And in this case, that lining is Monarch Money. For those of us searching for a robust, user-friendly alternative, Monarch Money is stepping up to the plate. And from personal experience, it's hitting a home run. Let's get personal for a moment. Managing finances can be a maze of confusion, stress, and time consumption. Believe me, I've been there, jumping from one finance app to another, hoping to find that one platform that simplifies everything. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design transformed my approach to managing finances. What truly sets Monarch apart for me, though, is its collaboration feature. With money being a top Discord trigger for many couples, the ability to seamlessly manage finances with my wife has been a game changer. No extra costs, just shared goals and clarity. But Monarch isn't just about managing your current finances, it's about building your future. Saving for that dream house, your wedding, or a once in a lifetime vacation becomes not just a possibility, but a reality with Monarch's intuitive tools. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal held it as the best app for savings growth. Monarch Money represents the next evolution in personal finance apps. It's an ad-free haven where your experience is the priority, constantly refined based on real user feedback. It's everything we've been asking for, intuitive, powerful, and relentlessly focused on user satisfaction. Now, for a bit more practicality, Monarch makes transitioning from Mint a breeze ensuring you can bring all your tags and categories with you. It's intuitive design, customization options, and commitment to privacy and an ad-free experience make it stand out in the sea of competitors. Look, after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash leisure. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash leisure for your extended 30-day free trial. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Ernest, what's up? Look, today I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind, a real weight on my shoulders. You know, we all have these moments, big or small, that just stick with us. When we don't talk about these things, then they can start to affect our lives in unexpected ways. That's why having a space to express these feelings is so important. I know firsthand the benefits of therapy. It's been transformative for my friends and family. Therapy can help you learn crucial skills like setting boundaries and developing coping strategies. It's not just about dealing with major events. It's also about enhancing your day-to-day -day life, allowing you to become the best version of yourself. So if you've been thinking about therapy, BetterHelp can be a great option for you. It's entirely online, which makes it super convenient and adaptable to your busy schedule. You start by filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can even switch therapists at any time if you feel the need without any additional costs. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash EarnYourLeisure today to get 10% off your first month. Remember, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash earn your leisure don't wait don't hesitate head over there now earners the year is almost halfway over do not miss this opportunity to scale to the next level eyl university is the biggest institution when it comes to business online 
period. We have ramped up things in 2021 with over 20 infinity groups, including our breakout crypto club, which is fastly becoming one of the top online communities for cryptocurrency information. It also includes MG The Mortgage Guy's Home Buyer's Blueprint Volume 1. It also includes monthly financial planning calls with yours truly. It also includes our book club, our movie club, access to our private Facebook group with over 6,000 members, access to over 100 past webinars, and access to weekly webinars from industry experts. All that and more for a limited offer of 60% off. That's right, 60% off of the annual tuition. Go to EYLUniversity.com right now and become an earner. My graduates from my school being Forbes, bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. All right, guys. Welcome back, EYL. Legendary episode, I'm pretty sure. So this is this is a while in the making. Um, so if you're from New York, you've heard of the name Jimmy. It's, it's ironic because it's like Jimmy's one of these names is one of the probably most popular names in the world. So I mean, Jimmy is like anybody would be named Jimmy, right? But if you're from New York, there's one Jimmy. There's one Jimmy. That's a fact. <laughs> Jimmy Jones. Jim Jones, shout but, out to Jimmy. But, but this Jim, is, but Jim this Jones is Jim. Jim, Jones, Jim. Jimmy. This is different. This is yeah, different. This Jimmy. is legendary. So. Um, yeah, man, so many different rappers. Well, you know, AZ, so shout out to SoSide. That comes to the Firm album. Mm. Find me at Jimmy's up in the Bronx. So um, it's just one of these things that just became such a staple in New York from Jimmy's to Jimmy's Seafood to Don Coquille to mm-hmm. Sofrito to Get Soul mm-hmm. and New Row to Acre. Did I say that correctly? Acre, yes. Acre, now in, back in the Bronx. And um, Jimmy Rodriguez had a has a legendary career as a restaurant tour, a legendary restaurant tour. Um, believe how long over 30 years, something like that? 20 years? Let's keep the number down. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more than 40 though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A cultural icon <laughs> in New York City. So I was in his spot um a few months ago, probably like four or five, maybe six months ago. I don't know, a while back. And I was with a good friend of mine, shout out to Taylor. Chuck, what up? And um we was in there and we was waiting. Um, they was they was full. So we sitting at the couch, like just waiting for, you know, somebody to seat us. So the waitress comes over, like, you know, you know, we got some shots for you, like free drinks. I'm like, all right, cool. He's like, um, it comes from Jimmy. I didn't know that it was that Jimmy. So I looked, I'm like, thanks, cause the last time I saw him, he weighed a lot more weight. <laughs> so he lost a lot of weight. That so was I, a different Jimmy. Yeah, so I didn't recognize so heavyweight. He, that was a heavyweight. You know? <laughs> he gave me, you know, the mafia nod, like What's up? I'm like, what's up? <laughs> so long story short, it turns out that his son is a huge supporter of Earn Your Leisure. And his son told him like, that's Earn Your Leisure. You can't have him waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I like that already. <laughs> so we chopped it up. He came over and um, we spoke for like two hours. And, you know, I was just letting him know who we were. Um, we was just, you know, just trading stories. And um, it was just a really dope experience. And I told him, like, yeah, you got to come on the podcast, man. And he asked me at the time. He was like, I heard you got... Um, you know, a big podcast. He's like, I'm like, yeah, it's number one. And he was like, number one where? And I'm like, in the world. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> How come I don't know about that? You know what I'm saying? My son said, you number one guy. Really? And then a couple, a couple months later, we hit number one in the world. So I spoke that into existence. So, um, and then a couple weeks ago, our friends was in there. Shout out to Mike, Bam, Damn. 
Rich, the whole crew. Maddie Ice. And they was like, yo, you never going to believe who we got to come on on your leisure. And they FaceTime. I'm like, I already spoke to him. He said, you already committed. We was just waiting for the okay. So long story short, um, we finally got this done. So um, I'm looking forward to an exciting conversation. So first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. I'm excited. You know, I, um, just to see, be part of your show, number one show. And I know your audience wants to hear different topics. And I think that, you know, what I've done over the last 40 years is interesting. You know, I've done it, you know, in different times. And I know there's a lot of people out here that have a Jimmy story. <laughs> it's true. I, I told you before we started that my first ever beverage, alcoholic beverage, was at Jimmy's. It was the first time I ever tasted a Long Island iced tea. And for the next 10 years, that's the only thing I had. Was it, the only thing was I a real ID or fake ID? I don't want to get in yeah, trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Statue of limitation is uh, up. I don't want to get any much. Uh, yeah. we still we still got to respect still, it. We, uh, uh, Statue of limitation. Yeah, it was yeah, a fake so. idea. It was a fake idea. We tried our we yeah. tried our best to make sure that you know the ideas were right. But, but I know. looked a lot older. I always I always had a beard. I always looked a lot older than I was. So credit to your bouncers at the time. They didn't make a mistake. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So we got. I want to talk about a variety of different things. Just you know the state of restaurants and on COVID, your experience, all of the different stuff. But I want to go back to where it started. So how did you start? And kind of you selling, you just told me you were selling fish in the streets originally. Like, how did you start in the, in the, the restaurant business? Well, I started working for my dad as a young kid, about 15, 16 years old. We were selling fish in the street on the Cross Bronx and Webster. But before that was Westchester and the Bronx River. And we got kicked out because it was so popular. And they, we went to the Cross Bronx and Webster under the bridge. And then from there, we rented the building across the street. Um, we started selling uh, fish on the side of the building. And then we took the building over. And that was Marisco. It was Jimmy's Seafood. And then from Jimmy's Seafood, we went to Marisco del Caribe. Um, and then eventually, we um, looked to expand. And we took over the uh, Jimmy's Bronx Cafe on Fordham Road to Major Deegan. Yeah. That was a 48,000 square foot building. Yeah. Um, we tried to borrow the money from everybody and anybody in the world. And I remember buying the building for $2.4 million. What year was that? God, only 90. I, so I got it. So this is, that story's pretty crazy because I, I, I read it, it was, it was 2.5 million. Mm -hmm. And then Mother Nature took its course. Yes. And just kind of like messed the building up a little bit to was, your favor. Yes. And the price got dropped. It was 3.2, and oh. then we got it for 2.4. Oh, okay. And um, I remember trying to raise the money, and I'm like, we're doing so well at Jimmy's, at Marisco del Caribe. It wouldn't be a problem to, like, you know, borrow the money from the bank. Um, but, uh, you know, every bank that I went to was a roadblock, and it was like red line. You don't lend money to certain people in certain neighborhoods because they cannot be successful. And um, at the end of the day, I winded up putting the deal together with uh, Leon Katz, and he lent me the money at 24%. I almost had it at 32% from a, a group in Connecticut, but he gave it to me for a million one. I got 300 from the seller, and then a million dollars they held back in paper. So I was paying 24%, and the fun part about it is I remember Leon You said the fun Katz. part? Yeah, <laughs> the fun part was, like, you know, you, in life you have to learn that, like, they're just challenges. Like, yeah. It's not how many times you fall, it's how fast you get up. Yeah. So for me, it was like, I'm going to buy this building. I don't know how, but I'm going to buy the building. So I remember going into contract into the property, and I gave them um, 300000 And the 300000 was from Ruben Sierra. 
Ah, right, so the salsa king. Yes, he was a baseball player, salsa <laughs> yeah, king, and, yeah. and um, so he gave me the money as a deposit. He was supposed to be partners with our family, mm-hmm. and um, he backed out. But before he backed out, I borrowed the money from Leon Katz. And the fun story was that Leon Katz came to, he sent his nephew, Lenny. And Lenny pulled up and he looked at the property and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm building my restaurant. He says, but you don't own it. How do you put so many people to work? I says, because like you said, you talk it into existence, you make it happen. So I said, I'm going to own this property. And the only way you're going to believe in me and this property is by me turning around and putting everything on the table. Win all, lose all. And I did that. So he went back, he told his uncle what was going on. He took pictures, looked at some paperwork. And um, he said, I want to go to your house. I want to see where you live. He came to my house, Michelle Parkway. I want to see your family. He went back and told his uncle he likes the deal. He said, the guy will do the 24%, which 24% is the most interest they could charge. It's like a loan shark. Yeah, <laughs> yep. but that's professional loan shark, like the credit card companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right now, they, if they could charge you 50%, they will. So 24% was fine. So um, he called up, at the time was uh, Freddie Ferrer. He was borough president. And um, Freddie said, he asked Freddie, what do you know about Jimmy? He's like, that's the that's the Latin restaurant guy. He That's what he does. He works every day. He has a family. He just, that's all he does. He says, nothing but good things about him. He, so he goes back, he says, We'll lend you the million dollars, million one, uh, but you got to come up with $44,000. So I asked my dad for the 44000 He gave it to me. So basically, we bought this property with 44000 out of our pocket, besides the money that we used to start the construction. So I went to all my vendors. I says, hey, guys, I need some money. Like, I, I buy 100000 from you. Can Instead of 30 days, can I go to 90? And they said, nope, 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 nope. So... I doubled my order, tripled my orders, and all of a sudden, they're like, I can't pay you right now. We're going to have to work out some payments. So I I really basically leveraged every credit card. I borrowed from everybody to make this happen. I remember, like, a lot of my friends that I would go to, I'm like, dude, could you lend me, can you give me a check for, like, 20000 Let it bounce. I just need it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really want the money. Let it flow. You got to do whatever you got to do to make it legal just to get over that piece. <laughs> so then the fun part about it, so... I, I remember going out to Arizona. That was the first time the World Trade Center got uh, like attacked, and I'm sitting with Rick Rubin Sierra, and um, and Ricky Henderson, and that's the time I picked up the check so I can get into this deal. So I took fifty thousand, I put it towards the air conditioning, I put fifty thousand or hundred thousand towards construction, and then Rubin had a brother in in, um, in Puerto Rico, and he called him and said, "I want you to check this property." So he says to him, "Pull out the deal." I'm like, Ruben calls me and says, like, listen, I got to pull out the deal. I'm like, but why? I said, because my brother called. He didn't tell me the story. So this cab driver, who was a good friend of my, my mother-in-law, Tato or whatever, he said, his brother killed the deal on you. I'm like, what happened? He's like, he, I found out later that he checked the assessment of the property, not the appraisal. The assess for tax purposes is different from what appraised property. Mm-hmm. And it was it was assessed for a million dollars or a million five. So he pulled out of the deal. I said, Ruben, I don't have the money. I'll pay you when eventually I get into this deal. And, you know, I remember, like, going to 100 black men and asking them for help. 
And they said, we can help you, but we can't help the whole village. We'll, we'll help you because we know who you are, and that's how we'll do it. And I remember like little things that you learn from your elders, the OGs, the Master Gs that come to you, and you always look up to these guys, and that was the beginning of Jimmy. So eventually, that became an amazing property, busiest thing in the world. Um, and then I did Jimmy's Downtown, Jimmy's Uptown, Jimmy City Island. Mm-hmm. Um, which were they were all amazing places to go. I remember running up and down around the city. But, you know, one of my craziest stories was stay away from Jimmy's Cafe, mm. where the Yankees, Major League Baseball, was so upset <laughs> that every major celebrity, basketball, football, hockey, every major celebrity in the world went to Jimmy's. But why? Because I became the caterer for the Yankees. Yeah. So could you imagine feeding every major celebrity star in the Yan- that came to New York, not only the Yankees, but visiting team? Yeah. So I was voted the best food in America mm. for Clubhouse. Mm. So what do you think they wanted to go afterwards with their family? Mine. So instead of them making sure that we wouldn't have problems with none of these celebrity figures, anything, they told them not to come to my place. And that hit the front page. And that went from... Three hundred thousand dollars a week to less than a hundred thousand. So, so what? So, 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 so Wait, who's, let, who started this campaign? Let, so let's go into this a little bit. So, you were in the Yankees clubhouse as a vendor, food vendor. Yeah. Because so, I, I, I read that your uncle was the plug, right? Your uncle was the guy that knew the Yankees players. No, and, he was. He played. He played the Yankees for one or two years. Uh, I, he remember. I remember him telling me a story where Mickey Mantle let him get his. Um, his locker right next to him because they really wanted him out the locker room because he was the only Spanish guy there. Oh. So racism within Major League Baseball gotcha. has always been there. And I, for me, I'm like, the Yankees, um, great dynasty, amazing team. But I believe in my heart that they're one of the most racist teams in America. And I mean, you look at the deal that the Yankees got in the Bronx, they ain't giving back. They just keep taking and taking and taking. I mean... It's a sad situation that you get these major companies come into our community, rape it, and put nothing back. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But that's a separate story. So the way I got into the Yankee Stadium was, at the time, was an Italian restaurant, and all the food that ever went into the Yankees was Italian. Just imagine Sylvia's or Jimmy's being in, in Yankee Stadium. Never going to happen. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that happened was Bernie Williams was a rookie. So I'm like, hey, I sent him a stuffed lobster. <laughs> The next day, I sent them the paella and a whole bunch of food. And Debbie Cheetah's like, we don't want this food. We want this food. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from Lou Cacuzzo and Robin, like, yo, we want a meeting with you. I'm like, what's up? It's like, our guys want your food. <laughs> and that was the beginning where, you know, we just became legendary. I did the Knicks. I did the Mets. You know, and you just have to let people know that, you know, what you do is, is great. It's quality. And you got to open doors for others. And that was how I... Got my foot in the door with there. Yeah. Bernie Williams, the uh, Puerto Rican. Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, Jorge. Posada. Yeah, Mariano. Everybody. Mariano. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember the World Series. They went, to, where they going to Jimmy's with their yeah. family. That, and that, that drove people crazy because that's they wanted to be within their own people. Yeah. Yeah. From the outside, it was like, we saw those people going there. And so as the public, it was like, there might be a chance if we go there tonight that we might see Derrick. You Jr. never know who's going. You be. never know who's going to be in there. Plus the jerseys are everywhere. It was like the first place where you had the players would come. They give you the jersey. It's on the wall. It's like wait, there might be a chance tonight. Uh, Pedro Martinez, Ivan Rodriguez, um, 
Tito Puente, Celia Cruz, Mark Anthony, J Lo, Diddy. I mean, you, you name you, it. You didn't. You missed. You missed one guy, the King of the Bronx. Oh, Joe. That was his. That okay. was Joe. Okay. We, we can't. We can't. Grammy. <laughs> I mean, like, woo, we had stories there, but Joseph Cartagena. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We even have Fidel Castro. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I read that in 1995. Yes. And that was at the time Mayor uh, Giuliani is the mayor of New York. Yes. They didn't want him eating anywhere in the city. They didn't want him to leave his room. I mean, at the point where he locked him out of everywhere. So it was him and um, another uh, European, uh, Kofi Onan or something. No, Kofi. It was, he was restricted from everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, uh, Serrano asked me if we could invite Fidel Castro to the Bronx. And would I host it? I'm like, sure. I'm like, I'm already known for un the place where unsavory characters go. <laughs> <laughs> he is like we'll public enemy number one of the United States is Fidel Castro. Like, how better can I get? Like, I'm going to really, and I remember like deciding the media people, like New York Times. See, I had more cameras and everything. I was like the most amazing, you know, story. And then the death threats came in and, to you? Yeah, of course. Like, yo, like <laughs> Cuban's like, yo, get mad at me. Like, yo, but I'm not I'm not in politics. I'm just a restaurant guy. So you have the guys that are for Cuba on this side, and you have the ones against Cuba or Fidel on this side. And the next day after this whole historic meeting where Fidel came to the Bronx, you know, he went to three places. He went to Abyssinian Baptist Church. He met with the Times, and he went to Jimmy's. So those are the only three places. So no matter what, you can never take away that we had the number one enemy of the United States at that time, which was Fidel, there and- On Fordham Road. On Fordham Road. Yeah, but I'll tell you, you want to go even crazier. A couple of years later, I went to, to, for, to Cuba for um, Benny Morel concert. And I was, in, I was sitting in the, in, the, in, the, in the audience and Serrano said, if Fidel, is going to, if you're gonna meet Fidel again in Cuba, it's gonna be a night. He doesn't meet people in the daytime. So I'm not thinking, I just put that in the back of my head. So it was like 10, 11 o'clock at night, somebody taps me on my shoulder, says, the Comandante would like to see you. I'm like, what? What's that, what's that mean? <laughs> like, you know, the, like he wanted, the Comandante is the- is The commander? The commander, the commander chief, yeah, yeah. The, that's, So I get out from the hotel, I get out from the, the concert, they take me to the car. I said, I got a present for him. I know it's his birthday. So I bought him this, this piece with all these famous baseball pitchers and balls, Nolan Ryan. And so I give it to him and I go to the White House in Cuba. And um, we sit down, we have a couple of drinks. And he's like, you know, are you hungry? I'm like, hey, if you cook, we eating. They <laughs> call Chumi. I remember, I don't know why I still remember this name. Like so many years later, Chumi. So Chumi comes over. We set it up and we sitting down. With him. I remember drinking goat milk for the first time in my life. And <laughs> salad and this, that. So we wrap up the meeting. And, I, you know, I'm a collector of jerseys. Like you could tell, like that's yeah, what yeah, I yeah. collect. So I said, Comandante, if you don't mind, would you... Give me, would you allow me to have one of your shirts? Like just for, I could imagine like his shirt. Yeah. Like the army shirt? Like yeah, the, the general, the, like yeah. So he whispers to somebody and he comes back in two minutes and he gives me the jersey, the jacket and the pants, the fatigues, the <laughs> whole shabam. I'm like crazy, crazy, crazy. So that was my little Fidel story. I had a David Bowie concert there. I mean. Wow. <laughs> so why did, why did the Yankees tell people not to patronize your restaurant? It wasn't the Yankees, it was Major League Baseball. Why did Major League Baseball tell people not because to patronize us? Because we had 
they felt that unsavory characters visited my place and they didn't want something to happen. Some street, act, street activity. Right. So in other words, <laughs> if you have two beepers, you're a drug dealer. You have two phones, you're a drug dealer. You can't have one for business. So I remember one time Walter Ali said he was the head of the Hispanic Police Association and he had two beepers. I guess, I guess you're a drug dealer. I said, because you, got, you look like one. So at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you don't stop them or unsavory characters going to the Yankees. You don't mm. stop them going to see the Knicks. You don't stop them from going anywhere in New York City. But now you want to stop them from going to Jimmy's because it's out of control. I don't understand. But mm-hmm. it cost me a lot. And I remember sitting down with um, Van Woods from Sylvia's. And it was funny, you know, for the one time in my life, I, I felt bad being Hispanic mm. because as influential I felt that our business was in the Hispanic community, not one Hispanic leader came to support us. Not one spoke out. But yet there was Sylvia's and said, listen, we're here, whatever you want. And if I would have known now what, what I know now, if I would have known it then, I would have sued Major League Baseball and the rest would be history. Because, you know, this discrimination that they have against us, like, it's my body. That's crazy because you, if you think of the sport, it's dominated by Latin American and Hispanic players. Yeah. And right, so where would they? I mean, where would they eat? Where exactly. would they take their family? Where would they feel comfortable? Oh, in the Radisson, yeah, because we're gonna go downstairs and have some sandwiches, or just like in other words, not for nothing. Our food is made from scratch; it's fresh. You know, the service, the hospitality, the music, the environment, the energy. So you have all the money in the world. Where you want to go? Where you don't feel comfortable? Or where you do feel comfortable? Where would you want to visit? You know, but you feel like all the prejudice. Like you see all the checkpoints. Checkpoints are not below Ninety Sixth Street. They're above 96th Street. Mm-hmm. So you look at the discrimination on like, you know, you cross the bridge, they're waiting for you over there, they're waiting for you over there, get on the highway, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, in other words, it happens still to this day. Like, mm-hmm. in other words, you know, it's it's a crime. It's a shame what happens. You do, know? do you feel that, taking a detour, um, the restaurant industry, just the nightlife in New York City, I feel like even before Corona, it it is dead. And I feel like, you know, all of the clubs closed, La Marina closed, the gentlemen's clubs closed, all of that. And I just feel like New York has become so buttoned up. And you go to other places like Atlanta. This is why Atlanta is thriving. Mm-hmm. Miami is thriving. It's Houston. like they letting, you know, they letting things happen where New York has just become so buttoned up that nothing is like nothing's going on anymore. It's lost its culture. And we don't have no voice. Like in other words, right now we have a problem. We have no voice. If something happens at one of our establishments, we have no one to support or stand up for us. Like if, like, you know, if there's something happened today in a Hispanic community, the best we got, in my opinion, is Fernando Mateo. The best we got is Fernando Mateo and AOC. So what happened to the rest of our leaders? What happens to our businesses? Like, in other words, you know, if something happens in the Hispanic community, we have no leadership. But you know, something happened in the black community, Al Sharpton's right there. <laughs> so he's gonna put the brake right on him and say, slow down, you ain't doing this. You understand? So we gotta change the mentality of what's going on. Our businesses are suffering right now. Um, the culture from the top down is like the abuse of power. Like you shut down the city of New York's, like the restaurant industry, the hospitality, busboys, waiters, cooks. I mean, you name everybody in our industry suffered this whole year. Why? But you can go to Yonkers and party. You can go to Mount Vernon and party. But right now, why are you holding us down? Why are you holding us back? Because it ain't based on the science. 
So the governor has a problem with the mayor. So why are we being kicked around? Why are we being abused because of it? Like right now, Friday, New York City is going to 50 and the state is going to 75. 75, yeah. Why? Capacity. Yeah, yeah. 75 capacity. Based on what science? Yeah. It's just, it's know, just random. Right. Yeah. You know, this but, whole thing has been extremely random. The governor of Texas just decides Corona's over. No mask required, we're done No mandates. Atlanta never had- Three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. They've been done with it for, for months. 50%, 25%, 70. It's like they just throwing out a number. Yeah. Sounds good to me. 75. Let's go for it. Let's see what happens. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's challenging. And um, those that stay with it are going to win. Like, yeah. in other words, I just, my advice to everybody out there is like, yo, hang in there. Yo, it's going to get better. It's going to get great. You, you, this was just a course we took in life that's going to strengthen us. I mean, whether you bowed out and failed, get back in it because yeah. this is going to turn around. This is going to be amazing. There's going to be a lot of great opportunities. Um, you're going to learn from this, the mistakes that you took for granted. Now to take advantage of them. You're going to make. You're going to do great coming out of this. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to going around the world with this. Yeah, I said. I mean, there's two things there. Number one, you've been in the game so long that you've probably seen almost everything. Now, including this, I can't imagine anything else that you haven't seen. But going back, you said that you were working with Sylvia's. And that's interesting too, because you both are in a in the restaurant field, but you're not looking at each other as competitors. Oh no, we're, you're looking, we're, we're family. You're looking at his family. Listen, I go in, I tell them, listen, you got to change the computer system. I'm gonna get you some equipment. You need right. to do this and van and family and Sylvia. We just that's what we do. Is, I go to the heights and do the same thing. Is that common in, in this in this game? Because I, I feel like you know when you have restaurants, it's like this is my competition. If there's a a dynamic of people or a culture of people that are going to these restaurants just looking at like, well, you're taking away from my customers, but what, what changed in your relationship to say, you know what, we're family, we're gonna do this together, let's all rise. Oh, you look at opportunities, like the opportunities that are out there for everyone. Like in other words, the podcast industry, there's there's but so much you can do. Let's teach someone, teach one, let them grow, mm -hmm. show them the tricks. It's like going to school. What we're doing right now is I'm going to school. I'm the teacher, I teach the students. So if I learn something quick, I give it to them. Now they give it to their kids and they they, they help the industry change and, and evolve. You know, we're responsible, like, one of the biggest problems we have right now in this day and age um, with this young men and women, um, I blame us. I blame us as adults that didn't put our foot up their ass because that's what happened to us growing up. Mm -hmm. In other words, your biggest fear growing up is if they told your parents you were going to get whooped. <laughs> like, in other words, you embarrass me, I'm going to, you know, you <laughs> yeah, got in yeah, trouble. Yeah. Back then, now it's like, there's no one to tell these young men and women, hey, you can't do this. That's not how you do things. So we, we're going to have to step up our game and grab them under the wing and say, yo, slow down, chill. This is how you build a restaurant. This is how you build a clothing store. This is how you build a label. This is how you do a studio. You got to teach everyone. We got to share our information. We got to share our contacts and we got to help each other. Like I do a lot of consulting all the time with restaurants and I'll tell guys, listen, you know, I'll come in and I'll assess your whole restaurant and I'll look at your sales and I'll look at your nightlife and I'll look at your equipment and I'll look at your habits and this is what I'm going to charge you. And the money, you pay me 10, I'm going to save you 100. And this is how easy it is. I'm going to show you how easy it is. I'm going to just save you 10 in a minute. And I'll just show them, they like, but I'm okay because they're going to be able to grow. And each one helps each other. We're going to grow together as one big family. So let me ask you this as far as, um, uh, we've interviewed a few restaurant owners and everybody has different philosophies as far as what makes a restaurant successful because 
I think it's like 95% failure rate for restaurants. It's extremely tough business. Food cost, shout out to Derek Falcon. He's the first person that actually broke down food cost. Chef Calvin talked about food costs mm-hmm. also. Food costs, extremely important. Um, managing systems, things of that nature. So what are some like commandments that a, a restaurant has to have in place in order for it to be successful based on your experience? Um, team. There's no I in team. If you don't have a great team around you, you it, you're going to like a basketball team. You can't you can't succeed. You can't win that championship. You need a forward. You need a center. You need a, you need the team. Baseball the same thing. You need the best of the best. So if you're gonna do something small, make sure you have a good team. I mean, you want to have someone that understands the kitchen, but you cannot let that front of the house rule the back of the house. The back of the house can't rule the front of the house. It has to flow. And a lot of times what we have is a great cook that doesn't listen to the clientele. Mm. You understand? Mm-hmm. Like you think that your food, like in other words, for example, you're going to put a menu together. First thing to do is sit down with five or six foodies, people that know food, and tell the chef, prepare that dish five times for five people, and we're going to critique protein, the vegetable, the salad, we're going to we're going to critique the presentation, the flavors, the layers. No, and learn. Like in other words, keep going to school, keep learning, keep putting people in your life that can help and support you. So for example, if tomorrow I decide to open up something other than a restaurant business, I'm going to hire the best person that does that. I'm not going to turn around and say, "Well, I'm going to start from ground zero." It's not happening. And a lot of times people will open up a restaurant They'll put everything into this restaurant and then leave no reserve for the next six months or a year. Talk, talk about that. Talk about that as far as like, I think that's one of the reasons why restaurants fail because, you know, and the, the business is up and down, you know, and you make most of your money. Correct me if I'm wrong. You make most of your money in a couple of days, like weekends or like happy hour, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you can have ups and downs, but you still got to pay. You got to pay staff. You got to pay security. You got to pay all of these things so you don't have enough money. And then it's like you, you're bankrupt. So how much money should you have? Like three months, six months? How much money should you have in savings before even starting a restaurant? Well, that number is going to depend upon your team, your leadership, your concept, your mission statement your projections, all of these things are going to determine what you need. Like, in other words, you know, I I, um, I was in an establishment yesterday where the guy spent $200,000 building a place. And I'm like, I wish I would have known you six months ago because it would only cost you seventy five. So you just put 125 that you didn't need to put into this concept. And that money could have went into the development of the mark, the label, the brand. A lot of people pick a name, but they don't realize that that name's already taken. And now mm-hmm. you've got to take a step back. So you have to do a lot of work from the very beginning of the inception of the name. Mm-hmm. Um, can you own the name? Can you register the name? Can you build the name? Where's Where are you going with your restaurant? Are you looking for a livelihood? Are you looking for long term? What are the goals? What are you looking to make from this restaurant? Are you looking for just the salary? Um, then think about security. Why would you want to build a restaurant that you won't feel safe in yourself? Mm-hmm. Why would your security need bulletproof vests? 
Why would they need like another one? And one of the problems that we have like in New York City that we don't have in Florida, just a very simple example. I don't know Atlanta yet, but why can't we have a cop at the front door? Why can't we have a cop at the front door? You're not, you not, not, not allowed to? No, but you could because it's it's, it has a liquor license. But you could have it at Yankee Stadium, Madison Square Garden. Uh, Met, Atlanta and, uh, definitely has cops at the front door. And it deters the violence. Heavily armed. Yeah. And it deters the violence. Yeah. You can't have it in New York. So we got to change little things like this. So we tell the young men and women, you're not coming in here with a weapon. And if you do, you're going to leave in handcuffs. So don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. So you stop it at the front door. Like when I had Jimmy's, you knew my guys would be tired at the, at the front door. That's they were not street thugs. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we're going to pat you down. And if you got a weapon, you're going to jail. And you knew that if you got stupid, we're going to find you because we got cameras everywhere. And you didn't come in with a And one of the things we stopped, we stopped the posses. Like, yo, ain't no posses tonight. We ain't 40, 50. You, we got 10 security. Why do I want 40 of you guys to run my show? It's not happening. Never happened. Unless it's Terror Squad. Yeah. <laughs> Exceptions to every rule. Oh, yeah, that's an there exception. You know. So you know. it, when you expanded, what do you, because you, you moved to Harlem and, and you had the downtown place. We're going to talk about the doggy bar in a sec, but what are you looking for when you're expanding into different areas, right? Is it, the prime real estate, are we trying to own the land or are we leasing the, the areas? We want to own the land, mm -hmm. but if we can't own the land, we want to go negotiate a deal that the, the revenue we're going to pay is going to be basically just as much as a mortgage that you're not overpaying. Um, that's one way to look at it. Another way is like you want to find the neighborhood that's going to support your concept. The craziest thing is I opened up Jimmy's downtown. Mm-hmm on 57 and 1st. Now, if you look at anybody that lived below 96th Street, <laughs> they look at you and say, you retarded. How is 57th Street downtown? Is 57th Street downtown? Midtown. Mid yeah, it's Midtown. Midtown. Uh, where'd you grow up? Up here. All right. Below 96th Street was what? Midtown. No, no. Below 96th Street. Below 96th Street. What would we call that? Um, that's Manhattan. All right, but growing up, if you went above 96th Harlem. Street, Harlem. that was Uptown. Yeah, Harlem. No, where did, where did Uptown start? Well, Harlem starts at 110th Street. Yeah, but where did Uptown start? 96th Street. That's where the money was. That's mm -hmm. the nicest houses and properties were below 96th Street. Okay. So there was three places that we went to growing up as a kid. We went below 14th Street. That's the village. Mm -hmm. Below 96th Street, that's downtown. Above 96th Street, we're going uptown. So it was only three. So when I said Jimmy's downtown, I'm like, dude, that's how, that's what we knew. Downtown was below 96. <laughs> okay, I got you. So, got okay. you. So you were just saying downtown. Downtown, because that's what you grew up knowing. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's just- below Harlem, so it's downtown. Yeah, we're yeah. going above 96, we're going to Harlem, right? Yeah. So Jewish lady walks up to me, Jimmy's downtown, Puerto Rican cuisine. She goes, why don't you call it Spanish? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, why don't you just call it a Spanish restaurant? I said, because it's a Puerto Rican restaurant, but wouldn't it be easier for you to call it Spanish? So the problem is, like, when we go out to eat, we don't say, let's go to a white restaurant. Mm -hmm. We say Italian. Or Greek. We say Irish. Right. Or Greek. Yeah. We call it what it is. So there's nothing wrong with calling it what it is. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to just lump you in a bucket with Peruvian, Dominican. Well, when we say Spanish, that's, a, that's like... You know, it's wrong because Mexican, Puerto Rican. It's not Spanish. It's, it's, not, yeah, it's, it's two different cultures. Yes. Europe is Italian, Russian, and German. It's not European. Right. It's, it is. And it's is. not really even a correct word, Spanish, because Spanish is a language. It would be like 
the equivalent of saying English. Or it has to, or the origin has to come from Spain. Well, Spain, right? right but the country, yeah, we're not Spaniard. We don't exactly. eat the way we they, they eat like a soupy. We do it different. So. Yeah, it's totally different. You know what I'm saying? It's a funny story. Like even like soul food. Like funny thing, I, I was talking to, to Van Woods. You know, Van Van Sylvia's, and we talk about some restaurant stories. And and he opened up Sylvia's in in uh, South Carolina. Okay, and it failed. And I'm like, why did it fail? He's like, how are you going to teach Southern people? Southern, <laughs> Southern food. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. And it's not going to work. So like, people said, why don't you open up a Puerto Rican restaurant in Puerto Rico? I'm like, yo, I learned one thing from man. Don't do that. Don't. We're not coming that nah. way. I was, I was going to ask you that, actually. If you, I was going to ask you that. It's funny you say that. I was going to ask you if you ever thought about opening a restaurant in Puerto Rico. And if I did... It would be where the tourists come in. So it I heard, wouldn't be for the people. Like by the so by the dock. Yeah, by the dock. Old San Juan. I've heard Fat Joe say this before. Um, what's your take on it? He said that some Puerto Ricans or a lot of Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico don't look at Puerto Ricans in New York as really Puerto Rican. No, you call a New York Rican. Okay. Like, in other words, you're not one of us. So it's, it's a dis- like, it's a disconnect. It's a whole disconnect. You know, and, and I think New York and Atlanta, you look at each other different. You're from the South. Mm-hmm. You're not from the East Coast. Like East Coast, West Coast, you're not. We, mm-hmm. we just don't connect. We create barriers. We create walls that don't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this. As far as like how difficult was it or well, this is a two-part question. If Your spots have become like very popular spots, like you said, with celebrities, rappers, all that goes to. What was the marketing? Did you do any marketing or that was just natural? Well, that's the first question, yeah. So marketing, then to marketing now. Back then, you couldn't Instagram. You couldn't Facebook. There was none. So it was pretty much flyers and promoting. But the one thing that I learned, like, back in the days was, like, just be genuine. Sell a real, true experience. Because then the cheapest form of advertising is true advertising. When you sell someone an experience, they tell it fine. Mm-hmm. And they tell a friend, and it goes on and on. And I believe that to this day, tell a friend is the best concept for marketing because you come in and all of a sudden it's like you want to tell someone to celebrate their birthday. I mean, I remember times I go to the restaurants and I'm like, how many reservations, how many birthday parties we have? Like, uh, we have 70 birthday parties tonight. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, everybody's celebrating their birthday. And you're going to shake everyone's hand. <laughs> and you're going to dance and you're going to have fun and you're just going to make sure the food comes out on time. And it's just a lot of little, little details. You got to pay attention to the details. Yeah. You know, you have to, like, put a nice team of people together. Like, if I'm opening up a new restaurant tomorrow, I'm looking for my chef. I'm looking at the front of the house. I'm looking at the wait staff. I'm looking at the help in the kitchen. I'm looking at the whole team together. Mm-hmm what the food cost is going to be, what's the presentation, what's the talk mark, uh, audience. One of the things that I, I did wrong was when I, Don Cookie, for example, was I built them too close to each other. Mm. So when I had- Which ones? New Rochelle was the first one. That was yeah. the one you couldn't get into if you even dreamed about it because that was just, a, it was crazy. <laughs> but then I built, um, from there I did Astoria. So that took a little bit away because it was too close. And so now the people from Queens and Brooklyn didn't come to New Rochelle. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because now you're in Westchester, and now this is the city. Then I did White Plains, and then I did City Island. Exactly. So now I was too close to the mothership, and I couldn't be in all of them. And then the people that you bring into the team and partners, if they don't understand 
to how to take care of your clientele, where they're your family, and you've you got to make a promise and keep a promise. Like in other words, one thing you have to tell people is like your word is your bond. Mm-hmm. So if you make a reservation and it's going to be ten at six, you can't walk in at six with ten people and I'm saying I ain't got your table. And you know, I had a a, a, a partner that um, he didn't care, and basically he turned the Don Coqui in Queens into a shit show. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And you can't have people that value money more than the concept and what you're selling because then you're going to dilute the brand. You're going to dilute, you know, what people are expecting and they're going to talk bad about you. And that's what a lot of people do in restaurant businesses. If you don't focus on the food, you don't focus on the service, forget about the happy hour. Happy hour is just part of an experience. So I tell people, listen, if you want to learn how to really do this, go work for somebody that really knows how to do this. Like mm-hmm. learn the ins and out of the business. Just don't decide because you can make a cheeseburger, you're going to open up a restaurant. It doesn't work that way. Mm. So um, as far as balancing that, because your, your spots is also like a nightlife, especially like the Don Coquies of the world, Jimmy's. Balancing a restaurant with nightlife, how is that? Decide your audience. Like in other words, I'll give you a perfect example. I love all the new music. I understand all the new music. Do I want to listen to that when I'm having dinner? You understand? You have yeah, to have yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, when is too much too much? I mean, can you listen to hip hop for three hours? You know, just straight, hardcore, straight. So, <laughs> right. okay. the funny thing is, like, you know, there was a guy called um, one of my mentors. I've, I've, Robert Isabel uh, was a very a big mentor of mine. Richard Turley, uh, Ian Traeger, um, Charlie Rangel, uh, who owns BLS? Um, I don't know. Um, Percy Sutton. Okay. One of the most amazing oh, yeah, speakers Sutton. in the world. I didn't know he owned BLS. And I was part of the Greater Chamber of Harlem, and I would listen to all my mentors. And this guy, um, Robert Isabel, they called him the flower god. And um, I remember back in the days when I had the salsa Spanish band and he came up and he's like, the bands can't play two sets. They only play one set. I'm like, but that's what we do up time. It's wrong. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. So I, I booked the band one set. He said, you don't introduce him. I'm like, but that's what, no, you don't introduce him. I'm like, well, why don't you introduce them? It's because you interrupt the flow. You interrupt the energy. People start looking at their watches. I'm like, okay. He says, when they finish, it's only 45 minutes. Not an hour and a half. Not because you're paying them for one set. No, no, 45 minutes. And the minute that song is finished, and it better be only five or six amazing hits. No new songs. And then you go right into the set. Don't I'm like, okay. It changed the whole game in heights because... Now you only book a band for one quick show and you were able to bring in different people. So I remember one time I tell one of my DJs, I said, listen, I want you to play some Michael Jackson. He goes, I ain't playing Michael Jackson. I said, you think you ain't gonna play, if you ain't playing Michael Jackson, you know you out of here like right now. I'm like, yo, <laughs> like you gonna play Michael Jackson. He looked at me like I'm crazy because that's what Robert said I should do. Yeah. And it's like the old school. So, in other words, you're used to all the new music, but he said, no, you got to give people 20 to 30 minute mixes so that this way they don't get bored. Yeah, I noticed you, that, that was a Don Conquist special. Was, every time play. we started rocking, it felt like, oh, they changing the music. That was kind of annoying to me, I'll be honest yeah. with you, in full transparency, because they would play 
hip hop, but just enough. And then they went back to the to the salsa. I, kept, I teased, yeah. this, I teased yeah. the shit out. And when I put it back on, it, it, you I, jumped up and you went crazy. Like, if oh, we being honest, like it then it felt like the the Latin music would go for like an hour and a half. And it was like, I don't know one word. Like, I gotta go. Yeah, but you went to salsa, you went to merengue. <laughs> I was trying, I was like. You start playing some white some um, white music and all of a sudden you go to hip hop and it's like that whole I'm like, little, okay, here we go. little flip. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's like, he says, you play this music for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and then everybody goes on the dance floor, it goes crazy. Put the heat on. I'm like, but it's, he said, no, put the heat on. They're gonna start sweating, right? I said, 20 minutes. They're gonna go minutes, to the bar? Put a whack ass song. <laughs> Now they're all gonna run to the bar. <laughs> and then about two, 10 minutes later, you put a great song on. And it's like, oh shit. But like I understood because he and Ian Traeger, Studio 54, like he is the god of nightlife. Like that guy knew what he was doing. He knew how to theme the nights, the music, the concept. So I'm like, I got the best teacher in the world teaching me how to play the game. How can I mess up? Like, so in other words, I always say, listen, pick your mentors. Make sure that they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Understand what they're teaching you and adapt that of what they're teaching you to what you need to do today. And before you know it, the world is yours. Like right now, if I go to Atlanta, if I go to Miami, if I go to Long Island, who's the best? And I'll sit there. I go two or three nights, take my notes. Yeah. I'm like, they don't know what's coming. Because I know everything they're doing wrong. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm not looking at everything they're doing right. I'm going to go in there and say, hey, I'm going to do my homework. Like, I'm going to be the student. Yeah. And I'm going to be the waiter. I'm going to be the host. I'm going to be the manager. But most important, I'm going to be the client, the guy who spends the money. And I'm going to sit with the big willies. And I'm going to sit with the regular folks. Yeah. And I'm going to see how they feel. I'm going to see their energy. I'm going to see how what's going on in their world. And before you know it, you have a winning, successful hit. The, what's coming in 2021 it's it corona taught me a lot you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. one of the things that it taught me is to be closer to my family my children my grandchildren but like you know the love of real people that are in your life but then you got to do your homework and says okay i'm busting out i'm going crazy and what's coming next if you thought jimmy's was crazy don't coquilla sofrida was crazy what's coming is out of this world because i already see i'm already planning and i'm going slow i build a foundation not building it on sand, I'm getting ready. And one of the things in the restaurant or any business, build yourself a good, strong foundation. Because then it's easier to build from. You know what I'm saying? So at the height of Jimmy's, you had celebrities coming in and obviously that boosted the amount of revenue you can bring in. And then the food became the thing. And so I'm thinking now, especially like in the Don Coquille locations, how profitable is that? Or how profitable are the location? Does it just matter based on where they're located? No, it doesn't matter where they're located. It's just going to be a hit? Because I figure like you got, at, at the height, you had over 300 employees. You got, again, you have bouncers. You have all this, this staff that you're paying. And most restaurants, people don't walk into till about 6, 7 o'clock if they don't go happy. Shout out to your happy hour. The $2 drinks during the summer are great. <laughs> but at what, like, how are we, what's the revenue model in a good, a good year and in a down year? For me, it's like if I'm going to, it's not so much about the number. Mm-hmm. So so it's about what you can offer. So like, let's say if a location could do breakfast, lunch, and dinner, now you have three revenues. Then you add in takeout. Then you add in happy hour. Then you add in 
private events, then off-premise catering, then you the nightlife. So the more components you could put, the more sources of revenue you can bring in. So okay. Now, one of the most important things that you have to understand is you have to sell an experience. And the experience has to be genuine. It has to be real. People have to be able to touch and feel and know that it's real. Because then they'll do the marketing for you. You know, one of the things that I created, like you want to celebrate your birthday in my place because it's going to be an experience. Like it's going to be an experience. So at five o'clock, I had a seating for 140. It was booked. And guys, you got to get up at seven because my next group is coming. And then nine o'clock was my next group and 11 o'clock my next group and one o'clock was my next group. And I would sit with my daughters and I'm like, what are we doing today? Give me them the list. Okay. And who's running late? No, no. You got to tell them that they got to be up and like, you know, we get their food out like now. Like you mm-hmm. create such an experience, but you like people want to celebrate because it was happy birthday. It was happy birthday. You, the music played was happy birthday song. Then another happy birthday song. And, the, and people just felt like part of one big family. You create an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now post-COVID, what's going to happen is outdoor is going to blow up like whoever has the nicest outdoor experience is going to take advantage of this market huge. Um, so now that things have changed as far as like, how how has that shifted your business? Not only with COVID, but just in general, as far as like marketing, like you said, now it's social media. Now it's influencers. Like influencers is like more important than rappers or entertainers yeah. these days. Baseball like, players, or, I'm sure you may not even know who. No, is. nobody knows who any athletes are. Walk in and nobody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. If you're not in the NBA, because NBA players, even if you're not notable, yeah. you're tall and you stick out, so it's obvious who you are. But that still doesn't really mean anything these days, unless you're like a celebrity yeah. NBA player. But, but it's even tough. In, even then, like I went to a restaurant, there was four Knicks players, and you wouldn't even know. They have the mascot, right? Yeah, well, I was like, oh, I, I know him because. I follow sports, but like they just they sit next to the table right next to you. Yeah, athletes aren't 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 moving the needle these days. Rappers, but only a select few rappers. But influencers are moving the needle a mm-hmm. lot. So, do you are you marketing on social media? Are you marketing to influencers? Are you marketing bartenders? Star tenders. Star tenders. Star tenders. <laughs> Come on, Jimmy. <laughs> you know, it's crazy because star tenders. You know, i tell you a funny story. So now, what changed in the nightlife? What, you asking the question? Yeah, I'm asking the question. What do you think changed in nightlife? A lot of things changed, but bartenders definitely changed. First, because first bottle service. Bottle service changed everything. That changed the whole world. Well, the bottle service was around with Jimmy's because you got a section of VIP if you were buying four, five, six bottles. But that's everything what, became but VIP. Bottle service used to be exclusive. Right. Then it became mandatory. You can't get oh, into a gonna, club unless that, you're buying that. a bottle. All right, but what changed the most? Let me see if you. Uh, I would say bottle service. From club to what? Oh, club to like lounge, like a. No. What? Club to strip club. Oh yeah, strip club. So yeah, growing yeah. up, right, going to a strip club was frowned upon. It was like looked at as a no no. You, you like, don't go to strip club. With some your like girlfriend. Weird. <laughs> right. Yes, you don't that's go true, to strip club true. with your sister, especially in New York. In New York, yeah. Like right, that yeah. was looked upon like you don't go to a strip club. Like yo, who goes to strip clubs? Then all of a sudden the clubs disappeared, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden. It's all the strip clubs. And all of a sudden, it's like, if you didn't go there with how many stacks to throw, <laughs> and you didn't buy, like, how many bottles? The Sue's Rendezvous, the, the one in the Bronx, uh, you know, 
The, you looked at all the strip clubs. Sin City. Sin City. Aces. All of that. Like everything was like, so now you don't go to a club on a Friday, Saturday night. Where you go to a strip club. And the girls enjoyed throwing money at the girls. Back, that, back then it didn't look like. So then that's how the clubs disappeared in our communities. Because then the strip clubs started getting closed down. But then the strip clubs started to close. Yeah. Right. But why did they get so? Because they catered to a certain audience that brought in violence. Yeah. And now the strip clubs are closed, and that's now where the lounges and, and the, the restaurants come right back. And the restaurants turn coming back. Yeah. Because before you couldn't open up a club because nobody came. Yeah, that, the bottle service, the VIP was one thing, but then the entire club became VIP. And now you're just standing there back to back with your friend, like, hey, you want a drink? These guys are popping bottles behind you. It's it just was like, why are we here? We're just standing here. Yeah, but what he said about the um strip club thing is very poignant and uh because in Atlanta, it's been a part of the culture, Southern culture, for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They break records down there. Like you listen to the, a new record, it got to be played in the strip club yeah, first before the first. It, mm-hmm. That's yeah. what Fat Joe would do. Like Fat Joe would be like, "Yo, we got to drop it in all the strip clubs because if all the strippers are dancing to it, yeah. it's a hit." Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now it's like social media, but the strip clubs changed the whole game. But what happened was the violence shut them all down. Everything you see, how few are left. Yeah, yeah. doesn't right. matter how good yeah, the wings are. In, in New York, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Once once the clubs closed in New York, the strip clubs became the only option. Then, like you said, shootouts and stabbings and violence. And then that got shut down, and then and Corona, and, and then Corona, corona came. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, that's how that's how it happened. Now they have the underground strip clubs. They have like everything's happening underground, and so you think they're really going to stop it? But I don't know. But I think that the next big move is going to be like now that the city opened up and allowing outdoor is changing people. But I was talking to one of my friends. He's a captain in the four three four. And he's like, the problem that we see is going to develop is people now learn how to party outdoor. They don't need to go to a club mm-hmm. so until it gets cold. Well, that was La Marina. Yeah, that was cool. the that was the allure of La Marina was that you in New York City but you feel like you in Miami Miami like yeah. you know you got a you got the water you yacht. got sand Probably yeah it was, a, it, in a yacht. it was a vibe that whole Dykeman Strip was a vibe it was amazing it was like the whole strip was like a whole now so what's going to be the next new move it's going to be interesting this 2021 is whoever prepared to come out. I think Jimmy knows what the next move is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's happening. It's, it's in the works. It's, it's in development, under development right now. And, and you know, it's interesting because it's like, I remember when La Marina first started to pop and I heard about it. I think if I really heard about it when Jay-Z went, this was years ago, like they was like, Jay was in La Marina. It was like every weekend I was talking about La Marina. And um, at that time, like it was all the way uptown. So it was kind of out the way. And um, location wise, you wouldn't think that that would be the best location, but it ended up working out. Yeah, it was. I would pull up all the time, but so, I pull, so location I isn't really lo, location isn't always the most important fact. If you can make something hot, they'll come. Energy. Like even is. even mm-hmm. Sue's Rendezvous was in Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, I mean, that's that's hometown. But people in the city, they look at Westchester like that's upstate. That's up, that's uptown. <laughs> that's really uptown. That's upstate. upstate. <laughs> oh yeah, we upstate. <laughs> the Bronx is uptown, and and, and Westchester's upstate. You're right. Yeah. So now it's cool to live upstate because. Nobody wants to live in a box room in the city. Yeah. So now everybody's looking for properties upstate. But you know, the fun thing about upstate, and it's not upstate, it's Westchester County. <laughs> there's no places to really party. No. No, no. That's why Down Coke was important. Because yeah. before you came, it was Pearl. And Pearl was yeah. official. And we had the two for one drinks in there. And then they shut that down because I guess, again, maybe the clientele of people that were coming in. 
But then Dr. Koki came and was like, all right. But you know what happened? We shout got something again. Shout out to my man, Kev Edgar, party extraordinaire, promoter. But anytime in White Plains, because white is so oversaturated with restaurants, I know when the restaurant's in trouble when they start throwing parties. This is before Corona, obviously, but they would do parties for a couple of months and then it'd be like a, a stabbing or something like that. And then they would, the cops would come shut it down. But I knew that the only reason why they were doing parties is because they wasn't making, making enough money. It doesn't matter yeah. at that point. Yeah. Like, like, I, like I see in this industry and it, and it messes it up for our community. Perfect example, you just said, you know, I had a place in White Plains, Don Cookie up there. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was going to be like the next best, most amazing thing. But the town is racist. You ain't get like, like, they don't want people of color to go up there and party. So they have checkpoints everywhere you go. So you get a couple of checkpoints, you ain't going back. One guy gets arrested, kills your business. So at the end of the day, it's like, you know what? I, I stay away from upstate and little towns because little towns have people that, well, they'll come after you. They'll yeah. shut you down. They don't, I mean, and that's around America. I'm not going to say just New York City, anywhere in this world. Like, you go to Jersey, Connecticut. If you don't really, you're not an influencer, you're not down with the town, they'll shut you down real quick. Yeah. You know, and if you're of color, you're even faster, you're gonna get shut down. Mm-hmm. But one of the biggest problems that we have is that when somebody's doing bad, they think that the way to get out of the debt is to bring in promoters. So what's the problem with a promoter? Promoter doesn't care, he has no investment. Mm-hmm. He makes his money today, he's in, he's out, have a nice day. So if your capacity is 200 and he brings in 500, what does he care? He makes more money. You feel better that you made more money, but you have an incident. The cops walk in. You over capacity. All of a sudden, you so, so you know there's, there has to be like yo, it's a double edged sword. Got to know what you play with. And when these places, they do these parties because they know they got four months. They're gonna go to the last mm-hmm. day. Now that sets a stigma for the next owner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's why we hurt each other because if something is out of line, shut them down. You know, like I says, club owners, guys, you know, you, you feel that the cops are against you, but do you know who's on a community board? No. Do you know who the precinct commander is? No. Have you ever met with them? No. You wait to meet them when they're coming down on you to shut you down. You ain't do your homework. So if you're going to open up an establishment, know your neighbors, know the community board leaders, know the police department, hire a retired cop. Listen, blue on blue is different. If they don't know you, they can come after you. But if you have a bulletproof vest, it ain't going through you. So hire someone that can help you. So hire people, know your team, know what you're going up against. If you don't do your homework, you're going to get hurt. Don't call it after the fact. Oh, they, my man, like if you look at the Heights, the Heights was out of control for a very long time. You walk into these places and I'm like, how do you, how did this happen? Like, how is, and then all of a sudden they all got shut down. And it was only a matter of time. So you yeah. have to know what you need to do in every neighborhood. Um, but, you know, if you're of color, you're more likely that they're going to attack you than if you're American and you're white or you're a retired cop. Listen, there's just different sets of rules. Did you ever think, all right, I'm just going to keep it strictly a restaurant and not have that nightlife component as part of, of the establishment? Yeah, because right now is... Like if you're going to go out for dinner mm-hmm. and you have like, I'm building outdoor spaces where you're going to have dinner and you're going to enjoy your music and your space and your friends. So you, you're going to, you're going to build something different for the day and age of people that we're living with today. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's that big nightlife, went to a small nightlife, went to a strip club. So what's the new 
what's going to be the new deal? Mm-hmm. It's going to be with social distancing. A lot of people are not going to take the vaccine for I don't know what reason. I already had Corona. I went through it. It was I, it was tough for me. Um, and a lot of people enjoying privacy because we moved so recklessly so fast before Corona. Now we look, we slow down. We like our company. We pick our company now. So we're going to go to places that we feel that the energy in the room is good and we can have our own different little parties. And I think that's going to be the move moving forward. Mm. So part part of the and you said the word development during this whole process, you started your own construction team. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that? I've always built. I've always been, you know, I've always loved building things and i have had fortune of having some great designers in my life from elon wattsburg he did cafeteria republic bond street w mexico w so he's like a design interior guy and once he tells me how to design it and do it then i get my chinese crew and we just make it happen and it's like <laughs> the one thing i'm gonna tell you in the restaurant <laughs> business the most important thing when you're going to build a restaurant anywhere in this world do not do it without a plan the biggest mistake restaurant owners do and people in even homes like just if you have a dream put it on paper make the mistake erase it it costs you a lot less to do it this way than to turn around and say well i have an idea i want to put a lamp over here and this over there and this no get a rendering spend the money on a designer an architect Look at it before it's going to open and change. Whatever you're going to change now, don't waste. Don't waste the money. Trust me, mm-hmm. I've I've done this so many. It's cost me millions of dollars to turn around and think that I know. No, 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 no. Put it on a paper because then you can cost the material, the labor. A contractor is not going to rob you. He signed on a dotted line. Don't give a contractor too much money. Buy your own material if you can. Pay him weekly and don't let him rip you off. There's a lot of bad people out there. There's a lot of bad people out there. Mm. Trust me. I, I deal with them all the time. I don't deal with them. I know who they are. Like, <laughs> you can see those are weed and this. But design it up front. Like anything in your life, put it on paper. Design it. See what it's going to cost you. And spend some money. With, hire someone that can consult. Hire, there's a lot of great consultants out there that will save you so much money. You think up front is going to cost you? No. If, once you go down, that that's a money pit. When you start building these places, they become money pits, and it doesn't make sense. So you you, you had spoke about before, like um, the way that the, the cops had treated different, like when you started the soul food restaurant as opposed to the Latin restaurant. Talk about that a little bit. Whew. You know, you know, I, it's it's listen. Um, so you know, I'm from the Bronx. I'm Puerto Rican. My my grandchildren are black and Puerto Rican. I have um, Dominican grandchildren as well. So you can't tell me, like, I shifted one way. Listen, we're all brothers. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, when I have black cops and white cops looking at soul food restaurant differently, you know, it, it's, it exists. We can't say it doesn't exist. I said, you know what? A great soul food restaurant with music and a little bit of everything. That's what we do every day anyway. Yeah. I just called, I just changed the name. Yeah. All of a sudden I changed the name. I'm different. I'm not different. I did the same concept. Mm-hmm. I did a little Latin food and I did a little soul food. What's the difference? Why was I treated different? Listen. That was that was Don Coquit turning into Get Soul. Get Soul. And, you know. It was a nice situation. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful situation. You had a nice VIP room. The food was great. The music was great. Um, I actually like, liked it a little bit more than the, the Don King White Plains. You didn't have the upstairs, downstairs if you had to do brunch during the day. So it's unfortunate that that uh, that happened. 
unfortunate, fortunate because I got a great experience mm-hmm. and I could still do it again. And I can and I see myself sometime in the future doing another soul food Latin restaurant combo because I got it under the wing. I took the course, I got the class, and it's and the demand is there. The demand is there. Like I've seen some soul food restaurants that have never had I've never taken it to that level. I already see what's missing. So for me, it's an advantage. Did you, did you tap into the Sylvia's team when you went ventured into soulful? Or now is it your direct competition? No, they never. They never. There's no competition. Not competition, but, but that's my family. Those, yeah. are, those are my family. Anything they need, they can call me tomorrow. I'm like, yo, I'm there. I'll help you out. Whatever you need. Um, I hired a soul food chef. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think everybody has their own chefs and own, and then you have to tweak what the chef is going to do because just because you know how to cook soul food doesn't mean is that what everybody's going to want. Mm-hmm. So you got to tweak that, and that's how you learn these things. But um, I think that a, a great soul food with a, a a bougie nightlife would be a great hit in New York, anywhere in this world, like really work. Yeah, that definitely would because it's not it's not really too much like that. Yeah. Going on, no, we really need what's the Indian cuisine? Oh, high class. I love the grill is nice, but it's, it's it's only in the city. Um, so we need something out here. I love West Indian food. You don't understand. <laughs> I, I'm a food, I love I love great food. I yeah. love like when chefs present food and the taste is, but the energy it has to be a vibe, it gotta be a vibe. That's what we need. That vibe, we need that vibe. Yeah, I mean, the tough spot is difficult. Cause it's like, how do you control? How do you really control it? You try to do dress code, but there's no dress code anymore. Mm-mm. So that that went away. <laughs> you do the eye test. The eye test is that yeah. leads to just racism on a whole different level. Yep. Complain, like you know what I'm saying. So it's like I see it from both perspectives. Cause I've seen places where they're like, yo, no sneakers, you can't get in. And every single person that's white in there has sneakers on. And the sneaker that, that you get, <laughs> get fifteen hundred dollars. You get out of loafers. That's a fact. That's like, a fact. Yeah. So how do you do that? How do you control crowd? Like, because like I said before, you could just do um, dress code, but there's no more dress code. So how do you control the crowd? Well, easy. Music. Music. Oh. Okay. You set the tone. Mm. Yo, I tell. Listen. Okay. So I tell Clubone. All right. Liquor license is till four o'clock in the morning. Okay. When should you change the music? At three fifty nine? No, 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 no. <laughs> you understand? So yeah. if you go from hardcore to bougie dancing to slow and sexy to turning on the lights, people leave in this tone. But if you leave with and you Listen, we all know the, the, the great DJs of New York City and the world. If you bring that DJ in at 3.30 to rock out for that last half hour, I need a bottle. And that, what are they doing with the bottles? They're chugging it. <laughs> if you look at the most violence yeah. in the clubs anywhere in this world, and I'm talking about anywhere, and this is like science, it's half hour before you close to an hour after you close. Why? The juice kicks in. Now, yeah. what did you do? You just set yourself up for failure. So what do I do? The hardest music, if I close at four, it ends at three. Then at three o'clock, you do a little salsa, a little merengue. People start bugging out like, yo, I, I want to go hardcore. You don't bring them, <laughs> you, you know, because you're going to create a problem. I, I just thought about something. I just had a, a great idea. So when we go to Atlanta, shout out to Alex Good Energy. You always bring it to this party called it's R&B only party. And they only play R&B. And it's a vibe, and it's an R and B, so it's not like you know, no violence, it's not no yeah. violence. 
we should do earn your leisure. We should do a, we should have a night. We should collaborate on a night. And bring pick a, a night. R and B. It's only R and B. Only R and B. It's a vibe. No, but I think listen, if you do R and B, you do a little freestyle. You do a little house. You do a little like old school hip hop. Listen, I always tell. Listen, it's funny because. Back in the days, I'm like always fighting with Joe. You know, Joe's my little brother. Like, I love Joe. Joe's like, bro, he's family. I mean, he's yeah. been to my daughter's weddings. Like, everybody knows him. And I always say, listen, Joe, all my friends love you because they met you, but your music is too hardcore. You need to start doing some some hip hop. <laughs> and all of a sudden, what do you think? He changed and he flipped. The light. And then all of a sudden, it's like every year he has a hit. Yeah. And what is it about? Dancing? It's not about violence. No. No, no, no. All of it is like everybody started changing the vibe. So if you did a hip hop show, it has to be a dance song. It can't be, it has to be positive energy. That's where the R&B kicks in. That's where a little bit of everything kicks in. It's all about the energy you bring to the table. And then we promote it. Because everybody that follows Earn Your Leisure is positive. It's, it's, it's a business platform. Yeah. We play the good R&B music. We have all R&B. We don't even need rap. Well, like he said, no, some dance, 90s, some 90s. You can mix oh, it in. You can mix it so in with so many R&B hits. We, we can take oh, all no, the but that's too like, yeah. And then it's like, you got to mix it. I'll say, listen, I tell everybody, listen. Mix, mix it up. But... You have to know if, like you said, if I only played a little bit of hardcore hip hop, that's it. I go like this. <laughs> two songs. That's it. That's it. Just two. do the two. That's it. But it, it kept everybody like that's the it. one thing I learned is body energy. Everybody's chill. Like the fun part about being in the restaurant at Danco Key is like I'd be on my DJs and I'd be like, <laughs> like, and they knew like they gotta change it up because if I see the energy in the room change. I change, my mood change. I want to go, I want to work like I'm happy, I'm good, everybody's moving, they're dancing. Like the nicest thing that I see in my world is when I see people dancing at the table and they're eating. Like that's like, that's fun. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's crazy. We've been known to dance on the table. EYL. We're about to help bring New York back, man. Once this corona thing is over. I think we're gonna have an earn your leisure night. I know. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. I know, but it's gonna be that night. We're gonna set it up. It's gonna be a vibe. It's gonna be a vibe. Yes. Needs to happen. So what's your what's your visions moving forward? What's what's on your your plan for the next five years, ten years, one year? What are you what are you looking forward to in the future? Um well, you know, first and foremost, I'm just happy to like have made it through this corona and stay healthy. And um, one of the very important story in my life. So I have this young, crazy daughter. Her name is Joelle. <laughs> and crazy because she reads, she knows a lot. And one day, about seven years ago, we were by the pool and she's reading a book she loves to read. I, me, I ain't reading nothing. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, audio books. Audio books. So I... Um, <laughs> I had six months to go before I dropped out of high school and I went right into, right to work because I was working, I was making money, I didn't think I needed it, and I was, I was on top of my game. At the point, seven years ago, I was 300 pounds, happy 300, 42, pushing 44. My pants were real tight, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not buying 44. <laughs> so, you know, I've been oh, you in say the restaurant you, business. Oh, you said you 42? Yeah, 42. 42 waist, waist. waist? Yeah. And you're not going to 44, gotcha. Yeah, so I'm not going to 44 waist. And yeah. I was very uncomfortable because diets didn't work, diet pills didn't work, portion control didn't work, nothing worked, but I couldn't figure out how I kept like staying around at 300 and I kept trying to lose weight. So she's reading the book and I'm like, what's the book about? She goes, dad, if you ever read this book, you'll never eat the same. I'm like, look, 
you know, I eat whole wheat, I eat multigrain, I eat brown rice, I eat brown pasta, I do this, I do that. She goes, Dad, if you ever eat, read this book, you'll never eat the same. I'm like, so I'm not going to argue because she's going to win. Learn, learn one thing about women. Don't fight. You got Listen, it. You got it. Everything was fine. So, you know, this is July and August, and she decides to buy me something for Christmas. And I open up the present, and I'm like, she knows I ain't going to read the book. What's the name of the book? Wheat Belly. The Wheat Belly? Wheat Belly by William Davis. So I take the book in CDs. I put it in the first CD. And the guy says, listen, go home and look at the album of your grandparents and see if anybody was overweight. Did your mother own a pair of sneakers? Did your mother exercise? Did she ever do anything but vacuum the house? And was there any nutrition? Is this no, 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 no? I'm like, oh shit, sounds interesting. So I turned around, I put the CD, and he tells me how they they modified wheat so it doesn't grow five feet; it grows eighteen inches, and everything is thick, and everybody's now is thick. And now there's blood pressure, diabetes, blood cholesterol, and how the FDA and everybody's selling all this processed junk food, this, that, whatever. I went home, emptied out my cabinets, and five months later, I lost 70 pounds. And I've been 220, 225 for the last seven years. I have more energy now than ever. I feel great. I eat clean. And I just remember one thing. If the secret to life is listening to your parents and look at the way they ate growing up, there was no supermarket. It was all market. Mm-hmm. Whatever was fresh, we ate, and we ate as much as whether it was potatoes, whether it was rice, whether it was avocado, yams, whatever, we ate it. And nobody was sick. Now everybody's sick. So they're not going to try to change your diet. They're going to try to give you medication to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. So one thing is health is wealth. And if you're going to change your lifestyle and you want to feel better, I personally believe gluten-free is the way to go. No wheat, no rye, no barley. So that's, that's the only thing you, you, you just stop eating gluten yeah. products. I drink every day. I don't exercise. <laughs> I don't go to the gym. I don't take, I don't do no diet pill drugs or anything like that. And I maintain my weight and you know, I feel amazing. I have more energy now at this point in my life than I had 20 years ago for 20 years. So I'm just like losing weight without dieting is amazing. Like, could you imagine like, losing 20 pounds in a month without having a diet, uh, exercise, and you can have a little bit of a drink or two here or there. But listen, Wheat Belly, you know, that one book changed my life. And then the other day, I don't know if you were, uh, What the Health was crazy. Another another movie on Netflix. Oh, it's it's crazy. The information is power. There's, yeah. a, there's a great book called um, How Not to Die. That, you read that book? Yeah. She's, she's on it. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. Listen, health is wealth, and you ha- you want listen. What good is it having what we have? You know, I ha- remember having this conversation with Callie because his wife Nicole is gluten free because yeah. she has celiac, and he's like, I should know that. And Joe, another one, I fought with Joe to listen to the book. I gave him the audio books. I, he's like, Nah, my doctor says no, don't do this, don't. And guess what? He did. It. He's like, Dude, I lost more weight in yeah. one month than we're, I did in six months. We're talking, what, we're talking about what, that. What is in gluten? What's gluten? What exactly is that? Gluten is a protein found in wheat, <laughs> rye, and barley. So it triggers your exhaustions in your mind to make you want to eat more and make you feel better. So you're th- eating breakfast, thinking about lunch, lunch, thinking about dinner, and the minute you taste it, like I have gluten-free pasta, gluten-free bread. I I fry my food in the restaurant, believe it or not, with almond flour, rice mm. flour. I'm sorry. So we don't really do. We don't. 
I don't like processed food, so I'd rather not give that to my clientele. Mm-hmm. And it tastes so much better when you're, when you're really putting together good food. You know what I'm saying? So that's really one thing that changed my life that gives me the energy to do what I do. Because serving, if not understanding what you're serving, it's easy for you to sell. But once you know quality food, your clientele knows because you always focus on the quality food. You go shopping for it. You serve it. You know what it is. J-Lo. I do a lot of catering for J-Lo. And I'm like, Jay, you know I'm gluten-free. She goes, I, I understand. Now you can serve more. Well, well the, the people come like, oh, we, she wants to have dinner. When? Today? Oh, I'm like, okay. I bring the food. She knows that it's gluten-free. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't want to work Another hard. J-Lo connection. You want to work smarter. Yeah. We we actually sat down with uh, one of her chefs, Chef, uh, Calvin. Chef Calvin. You know him? Yeah, he was yeah, good. Yeah, he was good. But I've been I've been cooking for a long time. <laughs> yeah, ever, he's, ever, he's yeah. much younger than yeah. us. Yeah. Calvin's a great chef. Yeah, he's, he's a great chef. Jimmy, it's been a pleasure, bro. Um, it was mine. What would you like to tell the people? Um, how can they find the information on your restaurant, uh, social media, website, and all that stuff? Um, the easiest way to find me is Jimmy's BX Cafe on Instagram. Okay. Um, you could DM me if you're looking for any consulting. Um, any ideas you want to run by me um and within 30 days we're going to announce a new restaurant and if you're in new york you won't be disappointed it's going to be amazing looking forward to you you can catch us there looking forward to that (laughs) to that eyl night yes that's the best i can't wait i can't that's that's gonna be better (laughs) troy housekeeping items yeah shout out to everybody on patreon.com y'all know that's our proud to pay program Obviously, tier five members, you have access to EYL University, the number one place and for Jimmy, everything. Jimmy's son is a member. He's a member, right? Yeah, yeah. He's an official earner. What's his there name? Jonathan. Shout out to Jonathan. Listen, shout, shout out, out to Jonathan, okay? Because your dad's a legend <laughs> and now you're a legend. He's still selling those sneakers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> oh, he's a, he's a sneaker right. head. And, 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 and the restaurant, he sells them. Hey, Jonathan, this is Troy. <laughs> I'm on your leisure. I'm a diehard sneaker guy. Shout out to you. Uh, and obviously, everybody that's been supporting uh, UIL University, we, we thank you greatly. All our earners, uh, keep uh, telling a friend to tell a friend, man. The, the group is spreading. Shout out to all of our people that are inside there, all the triads that are in there, uh, all the accountability groups, man. It has really grown to a place that we are proud of and, and get to witness on a daily basis. So shout out to all the earners in there and shout out to everybody supporting the merch. Uh, I can't say enough, man. We, y'all, y'all really have turned Earn Your Leisure into a worldwide name. So we are forever grateful and thankful for that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, this just happened. We didn't plan for this to happen, but I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and, um, you know, Earn Your Leisure is, is, is not only the biggest platform in America business, but it's probably the biggest platform in Latin America too. We've reached the number one charts in Dominican Republic. Fact. Um, we've charted in Puerto Rico. Fact. We've charted in Colombia, I think. Fact. Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was saying that, you know, it's really not like a comparable resource for the Latin community, like how we have. And I was telling him I wanted to do more content with Latin entrepreneurs, Latin investors, and even eventually Latin content actually spoken in Spanish. Exactly. And um, so he gave me a list of a bunch of different people. We already had a lot of people um, with Latin backgrounds, but so yeah, we're looking to do more with the, uh, the Latin community because I feel like, in my opinion, and I was talking to him, and he was like, "Nah, you're right, bro. Like, there's nothing like EYL mm-hmm. for you know the community." We got some stuff brewing too. Oh, we got a lot of stuff brewing. With, EYL with, Espanol was supposed to been um, come out with, but we just want to make sure that that's correct. But yeah. <sighs> taking over the whole world, man. So yeah, anytime we get to sit with you know an entrepreneur, especially a legend. It's dope, but to have, you know, somebody that is not only a legend, but Hispanic 
icon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dope. It's dope. So, you know, looking to diversify the content. So it's important. So, yeah, appreciate you, brother. Great show. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to earning your leisure night. It's going to be a hit. It's going to be a hit. It's going to be a hit. That's a fact. All right, guys, thank you for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs>